0: I've threatened some of you on this day with a sermon on American exceptionalism, and uh, while the thought amuses me, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm enormously proud of my adopted country, and I frequently give thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy here, and especially those who serve to protect them, and I've done so in a heartfelt way ever since probably 15 years ago I was in the Sudan, if you've ever been somewhere where people are not free to worship or live in fear. Uh, It's a profound sense of gratitude I have that we have the freedoms we enjoy. Give thanks in all circumstances, wrote St. Paul to the Christians in Thessalonica. We've heard a lot about giving thanks this day uh, in our hymns and in our scriptures. We are somewhat familiar with the circumstances around Jesus' final journey into Jerusalem, riding on a colt on the foal of a donkey From this prophecy of Zechariah, we're rather more familiar with Palm Sunday than we are with the circumstances to which Zechariah spoke in the first place. Alexander the Great had been storming through Syria, a Grecian king whose triumph would be marked by chariot and war horse and battle bow, along with the subjugation of the peoples he'd overcome. Without doubt, among the people to whom Zechariah spoke, there was fear in the land, a reasonable fear and a sense of impending doom all around an invading force at the border. And the prophet says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice in the midst of fear. Really? Rejoice when you are a prisoner in a waterless pit. Really? The word here is that you can rejoice because you will have a king even greater than Alexander, one who enters the city in weakness, whose paradoxical power will be greater in your lives than the the power of the greatest armies on earth. In any and all circumstances, Zechariah is saying, God is greater than strife, greater than fear, greater than famine, greater than cancer, greater even than war and death. But it's hard to believe. We need to be clear that this rejoice greatly with the barbarians at the gate is not the same as making the best of a bad job. It's not the same as spin. It's not trying to keep a positive aptitude or putting lipstick on a pig. It, it, not that these things are necessarily bad in themselves. I was uh, still in high school when I think, when I went to work with a group, um, we were squatting in South London and uh, working on what was called an adventure playground. It was a bombed out building site from World War II that hadn't been rebuilt. And we would scavenge around and find wood and old tires and things and build structures for the children of the area who lived in pretty abject poverty to play on. We wouldn't have passed any health and safety inspections, but the children were looked after and had fun. And in the evenings, we would hang out and tell stories and do whatever we would do. And one of our number was um, an aficionado of something called CAMRA, or the Campaign for Real Ale. I'm not going to go into the whole history of how that comes about, but it was essentially like a lobby group wanting to get back to beer that was fresh and pulled by hand from the, pumped from the cellar and had to be kept properly and so on, somewhat like the micro-brew movement in this country. And so it turned out that while we were there in South London, there was uh, one of these evening standard pub of the year finalists was not too far away, so we loaded into a couple of taxis and went to Becky's Dive Bar, and it, it was as ghastly as you can imagine it would be. It was just packed with people, smoke everywhere. And the, the beer was from a brewery called Flowers, and the kegs were on the on the bar itself, and the tap was opened. And we, we got the last beer in those kegs, and they had to remove the bung from the barrel, so all the sediment came out. It was beyond filthy. I mean, it was just... <laughs> just repulsive and our chap who'd been saying you've got to try real ale is marvelous and we've got to go to this pub and so on he he took his drink and he said with an absolutely straight face he said you know one of the nice things about real ale is it's unpredictable (laughs) now I sort of hear Jesus a little bit like that at first reading um, putting something dreadful in good light when his critics are in full force complaining about him being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, I thank you, Father, because these things are hidden from the wise and intelligent and have been revealed to infants. And at first blush, it sounds as little as though he's saying, you know, one of the nice things about slurs is they're unpredictable. You know, it's it's trying to, it sounds as if he's trying to make something good out of something bad. But in fact, of course, what he's saying is much more like what Zechariah of old said where Zechariah was saying real power is not found in armies and real life is not found in material prosperity, but in something much more profound, this much more profound trust in God for all that we are and all that we have. The truth is truth revealed to infants who have no option but to trust those around them, whatever the circumstance. As we're all aware, it's a hard sell, this trust in God when life gets hard. The capacity to give thanks in all circumstances requires a fundamental attitude of trust that is itself a gift of grace. We can't conjure it up, can't force ourselves into it, can't think ourselves into believing necessarily. We can sometimes act our way, perhaps. We can sometimes practice an attitude of gratitude but we can't make it happen by magic. We have to live into this reality of trust. We can say grace at meals and prayers at bedtime. We can practice generosity born of gratitude. And of course, above all, we can practice or develop this attitude by regular worship, by gathering for Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving that's the heart of our prayer, the prayer in which we recount a brief version of god's dealings with humanity is called the great thanksgiving this service is called eucharist greek for thanksgiving it's it's one of the things we can do to shape ourselves so that we're ready to trust to give thanks when it's our turn to face terrible circumstance we can't do magic manipulate god into giving us grifts of grace or will ourselves into a fundamental attitude of trust but we can practice we can practice we can take the yoke of Christ so that our incredibly heavy burdens are lightened as we live toward what really matters and as we live into grace now what this fundamental trust looks like in our lives is hard to predict ahead of time it's one of those things you know it when you see it I've seen marriages and lifelong partnerships fall apart when illness comes knocking at the door. But I've also seen real and holy love as one or other partner keeps faith while his beloved or her beloved sinks into incapacity. And you know that that love is real and that commitment is life-giving. This is real rejoicing in all circumstance. I've seen people as you have in extreme poverty even degradation, managing to express a sense of joy somehow. Not blessing the circumstance, but finding real life in spite of the circumstance with those who've been given to love them and those they've been given to love. We don't have to accept bad stuff, put up with things that are wrong. We can always fight illness, seek to improve our economic circumstance and resist oppression, but at the same time, we can put our source trust in the source of all life, remembering the gifts we have received. And so we can give thanks, even when the barbarians are at the gate. Put your trust in God. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Give thanks in all circumstance. As always, I invite you to respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer, perhaps thinking of one thing, for which you are truly grateful this day. In Christ we pray.